so wonderful to look out and see all who come out to worship God this morning. Thank you for being here to honor the God of heaven and to have a part in giving him the reverence and the adoration which he so richly deserves. If you're visiting with us today, um, we're happy that you're here because the more people that come to honor God, the more wonderful it is. God is to be worshipped in holiness by those who are holy. He deserves that. He is worthy of that. In Psalm 29 and verse 2, the psalmist said, Given to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Similarly, in Psalm 96 and verse 9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, tremble before Him, all the earth. We come into the presence this morning of a God who is holy. His name should be exalted among us. We show worship to Him as an expression of our love and adoration for Him. And it is to be done, as these passages say, in holiness, our holiness. Psalm 89 and verse 7 particularly, and we'll get back to this passage later in the lesson, but Psalm 89 and verse 7 says this, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who are around Him. Let us hold God then in this assembly and in all of our assemblies. Let's hold Him in fear and adoration, in reverence and respect. Whenever we're with Him, whenever we're in His presence, in assembled worship particularly. And that's what Psalm 89 and verse 7 is talking about. But notice it says that He's to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And I want to focus on that word with you for a few moments. We've talked a lot about the meaning of saints in previous lessons over the years, but I'm going to spend a little bit of time for many of you. This will be review, but don't fall asleep on me. Sometimes when we're reviewing things, you know, we uh, say, well, I already know this, so I can kind of zone out. Please don't do that. Uh, let's think about what it is to be a saint. A saint is a sanctified holy one. There are a lot of misconceptions in the world today about what it means to be a saint. Uh, some people think a saint is someone who's been venerated by the Catholic Church. Someone uh, might use the term saint to refer to a person who's exceptionally kind-hearted. But that is not the biblical meaning. What is a saint? It's someone who is sanctified. Uh, the word saint uh, comes from the same word as holy. So when you see the, the word holy, you're really seeing a description of someone who is a saint. We can literally and truly say that saints are holy ones. In fact, that's a literal rendering of the term saint. Holy ones. Holy means to be consecrated, purified, and separated. Sometimes when we talk about the idea of sanctification, we talk about it, well, it means you're set apart if you're sanctified. That's part of it. The other part of it is you're purified. So you're purified and you're set apart for either special service or in some special way or in some way that's unique, that is different from others. And so, the verb sanctify, or to sanctify, makes one holy. 
And you can see that in the original language as well. The connection is not clear in English, but in Greek, especially in the Greek of the New Testament, to sanctify is from a Greek word, and you don't have to know the Greek word, but just notice the similarity. Hagiazo is the word. Holy is hagias. The same root word. So, sanctified makes a person holy. Sanctified makes a person holy. Now, we say all of that to say, notice again what Psalm 89 and verse 7 said. God is to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Those are holy ones. Ones who have been sanctified. And those are, in New Testament terms, the people who make up churches. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, and this too is a passage that we'll look at a couple of times, but it's a simple passage. It's the address of this epistle that Paul makes to the church at Corinth. And he says, to the church of Corinth, to the church of God, I should say, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You're sanctified, and you are called to that sanctification. You're called to be holy ones. This term saints is used a lot in the New Testament to describe Christians. In fact, the term Christians is only found, as I've shared with you before, only found three times in the entire New Testament. The term disciples in describing those who are followers of Christ and who are Christians after the book of Acts, or in the book of Acts and onward, is only used about 30 times to describe those who are saved in the blood of Christ. The word saints is used 60 times. 60 times to describe those that we would normally just we say, well, he's a Christian or she's a Christian. Well, the Bible term for that most uh, commonly is not Christian. It's not even disciples. It's saint. God wants us to think of those who are saved as holy ones. Ones who have been separated and purified. We'll see how that happens a little later on. But that is how His Word describes His people. In the Old Testament, saints are God's covenant people who worship Him, who love Him, who revere Him, and who serve Him. So we have a number of passages, particularly in the Psalms, that use the term saints in this way, talking about God's people in the Old Testament age. Notice what they're doing and how the Word is being used. In Psalm 30 and verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His. Give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. So God's name is holy. His people who worship Him are holy. They are giving thanks to His holy name and singing praises to Him. So that's that's worship, right? And it's offered to Him by those who are holy. The, those who are saints are, are the faithful who who love God. In, in Psalm 31 and verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all you His saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays, but fully repays the proud person. The word for worship is a word that's connected directly to an expression of love. In fact, the common word for worship in the New Testament really means to show affection for or to kiss someone. That's the literal meaning of it. And so you show affection to God. You show love for God in worshiping Him. You show your adoration for Him. 
That's what's being said here, even in the Old Testament age. This passage that we're looking at is written concerning those who love the Lord. Notice that, Psalm 31.23. Love the Lord, His saints. And you express that love in worship. You also express a respect for Him out of holiness in worship. And so you have Psalm 34 and verse 9. Fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. God's holy ones then are those who praise Him, give thanks to His name. They're those who love Him and worship Him. They're those who are faithful to Him and those who fear Him or revere His name. So all of that we can see in these Old Testament descriptions of the saints in that age. And certainly that carries over into the very meaning of the term saints uh, that we'll see in the New Testament. One other thing before we leave the Old Testament usage of the word saints, I want you to notice just briefly in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 18 that uh, Daniel prophesying of the age of the Messiah, the kingdom to come, the everlasting kingdom of the Messiah, says the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So here's a prophecy from Daniel in the Old Testament that it is the saints, notice that, who will possess the kingdom, who will have the kingdom in the age of the Messiah. That's what he's prophesying about. So going forward then, when we come to the New Testament age, the first thing we can notice is that saints are members of the kingdom. They have come to possess the kingdom. You who are here this morning, who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are so citizens of the kingdom of heaven because you were saints. You are saints. And it's the saints who possess the kingdom. Notice the passage, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. We're citizens of what? A kingdom. We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In the New Testament then, the saints make up God's kingdom and they are members of local churches. It's amazing how many times saints are located with a local church. Saints are named as part of a local church. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples of that, but it happens very frequently. So, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy are writing as bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So they're writing to the church at Philippi, but notice it's the saints that are being written to in the church in Philippi. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. He's writing to the Ephesian church and he describes the individuals in it as saints. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2 that we've already seen, Paul writes to the church of God which is at Corinth, to them who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Over and over again, the members of local churches are described as saints. And so I'm describing you this morning as members of the Eastside Church of Christ as saints. We are saints. What does that mean? We're holy ones. What does that mean? Well, among other things, it means we fear God. It means that we reverence Him. It means that we honor Him and worship. 
And it means that when saints assemble, they worship God in, in fitting ways in those church assemblies. They are the people, the saints are the people who are fit, if you will, in a biblical description, are fit to worship God. They're the ones who ought to be worshiping God. They're the ones who God wants to worship Him. And from whom He will accept worship. That's who the saints are. If you go to 1 Corinthians 14, again, notice we're in 1 Corinthians, this letter that was written to a church that was made up of saints. And in 1 Corinthians 14, the description there is, or what Paul is talking about, is how God is to be worshipped in an assembly of the church. Uh, the Corinthians were having trouble in worshipping as they ought to, to bring the glory and honor to God that should be due Him. They were messed up by overemphasizing tongue speaking. Uh, they were messed up by doing acts of worship on top of one another in a confused way. And all of that Paul is then correcting in 1 Corinthians 14 as he's getting them to worship as an assembly of saints in a way that God deserves. And among the things that Paul says to the saints at Corinth about their worship assembly is they, they need to be praying and singing in heartfelt ways. Not everybody at the same time doing different things, but one thing at a time with spirit and with understanding. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15, Paul says, using himself as an example, I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. He's talking about in the context of a local church assembly. He's going to sing and pray with Spirit and understanding. Everything in that assembly was to be done for edifying. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, let all things be done for edification. It should all be done to build one another up, and in so doing, we glorify God. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, as he ends this discussion of the proper way to honor God in a worship assembly, he says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14.33 In the midst of all of this discussion of how the church of saints is to behave in a worship assembly, notice what he says. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So what you, what you see clearly in this description and this um, direction that we have from the Apostle Paul concerning what's to go on in an assembly is that there is to be a high degree of decorum. There are things that are done in a decent and orderly way. On our trips to Africa a number of times, we've been in a situation where... Um, especially in some of the village areas, they like for the different churches and denominational groups sort of to be in some of the same areas. And so it's been more than one time, several times over the years, where we have been uh, trying to carry on a worship, say on a Sunday morning, where from here to across the street, there was a Pentecostal group. 
or some similar kind of group, uh, native group perhaps, that was having some kind of what they would call worship. And I can just tell you that, uh, again, multiple times this has occurred, where what goes on in that Pentecostal group is banging drums for hours and hours and hours, uh, screaming, chanting indiscernibly. Uh, the people who can speak the languages can't even understand what they're saying. And this goes on for hours and hours and hours. And in the meantime, saints are over here worshiping. Saints are over here <laughs> worshiping in a completely different way. I heard an interesting story yesterday uh, from a fellow preacher. We were having breakfast together uh, yesterday morning. And he was, he was telling me, he said he had a friend that was an African. He experienced this same kind of thing. And, and he said the, the funny thing was that the... Pentecostal preacher came over and spoke to the, the brother who was, uh, you know, preaching at, with the saints. And he said, we, we don't, we don't ever hear anything out of you people. He says, don't y'all ever get excited about anything? And the preacher, I liked the response. He said, well, said, you know, I grew up on a farm and, uh, we had pigs. And you'd have baby pigs running around. And when they got hungry, they started squealing and just making all kinds of racket. And he said, but when that mama, uh, Sal, she'd lay down and let those piglets come up and get something to eat, you know, they'd all of a sudden they'd get real quiet. And they'd just focus on enjoying eating. And so this preacher asked this uh, Pentecostal guy, he said, are you all not feeding your people anything? There's a reason for quietness and decorum and orderliness in an assembly of saints who are worshiping God. We're feeding. We're honoring. We're focusing. We're trying to limit distractions as much as possible. I appreciate a lot the lesson Colton preached last week related to this. I think it's important. It has to do with saints worshiping in a holy assembly. When we come together... Uh, there, there is an aspect to our coming together where we want to encourage one another. We want to visit. We want to get to know how, how's it going with you, brother or sister? What can I do? Uh, what can we do maybe even in the coming week in the way of getting together, uh, serving the Lord? How can I pray for your family? What are my concerns? What are yours? And all those kinds of things. We want to share that information. But before services, after services, wonderful time to do all of that. But when the assembly now comes together as one in worship, now's the time to get serious. Now's the time to put all of that out of our minds as much as possible. Settle down. Get really focused. Stop all the commotion. Get the kids settled if we can. I know that's hard for the young ones. Because we are here to glorify the God of heaven. We are here to encourage one another by singing praises, by listening to His Word, by participating in a wonderful memorial. And those things deserve focus decently and in order. So we encourage all of us to realize the importance of what we're doing when we come together in this way to honor the God of heaven. Saints worship and serve God. Why must God be worshipped in holiness by the holy? 
let that question sink in. I know that's a lot of holy up there. But why must God be worshipped in holiness by the holy? Because, the Bible says, because God is holy. Go back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. It begins this way, Isaiah 6 and verse 1, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. So just a, an amazing sight that Isaiah is beholding. God lifted on high, the train of His robe filling up the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. I don't know the significance for sure of the seraphim covering their faces, but it has been suggested by some at least that you would cover your face because you should not or could not see something that was before you. It's been suggested that even the seraphim, perhaps God's holiness, is something that they themselves are slow to behold because He is so great. But the text goes on to say, one cried to another. One of these seraphim cried to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King. The Lord of hosts. You see Isaiah's problem? Isaiah's problem is our problem. It's our problem this morning. How can we come into the presence of a holy God being who we are? Men and women who've fallen short of the glory of God by our sins. How can we come into the presence of God as those who are broken and less than God created us to be? It's only by His grace in purifying us and forgiving us that we can enter His presence. So Isaiah found that out in this text. It's a wonderful thing. One of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Here, Isaiah, here's how you can come into God's presence. As being one who is, has been unclean, but now you are cleansed. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are purged by the grace of God. That's how we come into His presence in holiness. Not that we are have never committed sins, but that we are forgiven of our sins. It's important then that we come into His presence in that way. God expected that of His people under the Old Covenant. He says in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. You shall be holy, for I am holy. For I am the Lord. He says, neither shall you defy yourselves. But then in verse 45, He says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, you therefore shall be holy, for I am holy. Now that's important because when we get over to the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and following, those same words are used by God directed to us. Saints. Christians even today. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 14. We're to be as obedient children 
Not conforming ourselves to our former lusts. In other words, don't sin like you used to sin. But be children of God as He who called you is holy. Verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God expects the same thing of us as we come into His presence that He expected of the Israelites long ago. He expects holiness. And there's not not any excuse, as we'll see in a minute, not to come into His presence with holiness. Because His grace abounds to cover our sins. Saints are members of God's house. We're His children. We're His children in, in multiple ways. But because He's our Father, we imitate Him. And part of that is the imitation of His holiness. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children. We've already looked at Ephesians 2.19 that we're no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29, if you know that He is righteous, you know that, right? He's righteous. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. You do what's right because you're His child. You have His spiritual DNA. You've been born through the Spirit, through His Word, into His family. As Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And here then is our obligation toward holiness as saints. Remember, he's writing to the Corinthians as saints. But he's telling them, if you're going to serve God and have this relationship with Him and be able to even worship Him acceptably, you're going to have to come out of the world. You have to leave all of that behind. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. First, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Do not touch what is unclean. Remember the problem with Isaiah was that he was unclean. God says, don't touch what's unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises that God would be our father, that we could be his children, that if we'll just come out of the world and leave it behind. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. In the fear of God. That's his expectation for us. And we can't do that on our own. We can't do that by our own merits. It is only through God's grace. That holiness can be perfected in us. How can we become saints. Fit to worship God. Isn't that the burning question this morning? Aren't you sitting there saying to yourself, how, how, like Isaiah, how in the world? First of all, you need to realize, I need to realize, that we have been called to be saints. You realize that? That was what I said we'd look at it. This is the third time we noticed it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. God calls us to be saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. God did not call us 
to uncleanness, but in holiness. He called us to sainthood. That's what He called us to. And the way we come into that then is by answering the call. By being sanctified. By being cleansed by the washing of regeneration through the blood of His Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he knows all too well. He lived with these people for a better part of two years. He knows the sinful society that Corinth was. United States of America, as sinful as we are, I really don't think we have anything on the city of Corinth in the first century. It was vile. And these people had come right out of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is in, in full awareness of that. He says, and I'm going to back up and read in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 11. And such were some of you. These people that Paul has called saints, who were called to be saints, who he'll say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we've already seen, this is how you need to be worshiping God. He says to these people, list all of these sins. And he says, such were some of you. You were this. And then he calls upon the same people to worship a holy God and decent, decently in an order in 1 Corinthians 14. How did they get from such were some of you to 1 Corinthians 14? How do we? Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, we contact the blood of Christ. We're baptized into His death. We come up out of the waters of baptism. We rise to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says. And so the Apostle John could see in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14, those who had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You say, well, okay, so we're Christians. We're called to be saints. We became saints. We were purified when we became Christians by being baptized. When we became saints. But you know what? I don't know about you, but I, I've sinned since I was baptized. How about you? I've sinned since I was baptized. You? What do we do about that? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light, 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us of all sin. That's how. Even as Christians. 
will sin. John says, 1 John 2 and verse 1, I write these things to you so that you don't sin, so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price for our sins. If we confess them and turn from them, we can find forgiveness. There's one more thing I want to talk about. And the lesson will be yours in just a moment. I want to talk about some privileges and obligations of saints who worship God. We have both the privilege and the obligation of living a holy life, not a worldly one. There in Ephesians 5, Paul has said in verse 3, that fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Notice what is fitting for saints is, is that things like sexual immorality, uncleanness, dirty-mindedness, covetousness, materialism, those things should not even be named among you. Nor filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, dirty jokes, those kinds of things should not even be named among us, which he says are not fitting. Fitting for whom? Fitting for saints. It's not fit for saints to engage in those things because saints are holy people who are living to honor the God of heaven. The one who lives a worldly life is not honoring God with his worship. Please understand what I'm saying to you here this morning. You maybe have come into this assembly not as a saint. Maybe you've never become a Christian and you're just wanting to know about God. We welcome you. God welcomes you. We're glad you're here. Maybe you've come into this assembly once baptized in the name of Jesus, but you've got a load of sins that you have not had gotten forgiveness for since the time you became a Christian. And so you're here this morning. You're here this morning with defiled garments. And you might be saying, well, what are you saying to me, preacher? I shouldn't come. I shouldn't be here because I'm dishonoring God by worshiping Him with sin in my life that I'm unrepentant for. Are you telling me I shouldn't come? No, I'm not telling you you shouldn't come. I'm telling you you should repent. There is no reason. Jesus died for those sins. There's no reason not to have them washed away. No reason. We have the privilege of living a holy life which is fitting for saints and to come into His presence in a way that He'll respect and honor and will please Him. We receive divine help in prayer because we're saints. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, Paul says, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know how to pray like we should, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's not, that's not a benefit that people who aren't saints get. It's a benefit of saints. For the Spirit to help in their prayers. And we have this wonderful, truly, and I'm using this word in a biblical sense, awesome, truly awesome privilege of coming to His presence, worshiping here in a way that we know He's pleased with, and looking forward to worshiping Him forever before His throne in a way He'll be pleased with.
we're going to end where we started. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who are around him. In Revelation chapter 15, God is praised. They're singing before his throne. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you. Christ is coming again to be admired by his saints. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 says, We have sainthood in Christ. And we should cherish that. We should own it and appreciate what it is. And appreciate how much God appreciates us. We're pleased, is pleased with us. Knowing the love of Christ is something we know as saints. Thankful for our inheritance. Inheritance in light with all the saints. That's what we have to look forward to. This morning, if you're not a saint, why not? You don't have to wait for the Catholic Church to decide. You don't have to wait, you know, to do some extra special kind-hearted deed. You can become a saint, a holy one, by going through this process of sanctification, naming the name of Jesus, turning away from sin, being baptized in water for the mission of your sins that His blood might wash you white. And if you're a Christian this morning, a saint who has tainted his garments, no reason to leave him that way. The blood of Christ is for you. Please come while we stand and while we sing.